Resorts, homes and a newly built hospital have been washed away. No electricity, nothing whatsoever. We need to be prepared for the future. I'm just holding on for dear life here. This isn't fun. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Plan this time before disaster strike. Every natural disaster gets worse. What happens when something goes wrong and how do they respond to it? And make sure everyone's safety comes first. Save what for dream. You must ready. Clearing roads, restoring critical infrastructure. Eventually, I know it's going to hit. It's only a matter of time. Helping your community. Helping your family. Helping you. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Hi, I'm Fred Hooper and this is Pacific Prepared. It's a show about natural disasters, how you prepare for them and how people across the Pacific have survived them. Each week we work with local reporters so they get it, they understand what everyone is going through during a natural disaster. On today's show, when there's a disaster, humanitarian support is never too far away. You'll hear how those people who help others are trained and what they can learn from Pacific countries. Also, lifting the rates of immunisation in PNG against preventable diseases. And trees, why some people in Vanuatu are trying to explain the importance of trees to the community. That's all coming up. This is Pacific Prepared. The time to prepare is now, not right before an emergency. No electricity, nothing whatsoever. You are listening to Pacific Prepared. Trees are vital. As the biggest plants on the planet, they give us oxygen, store carbon, stabilize the soil, and give life to the world's wildlife. They also provide us with the materials for tools and shelter. In Vanuatu, the Department of Forestry is working to make people value trees and their forests through one of its projects called Plants and People. Presley Tofo, a senior botany and conservation officer at the Forestry Department, who also serves as a liaison for the Plants and People's project, is the driving force behind the initiative, which was initially implemented in Dafea Province, Tana, Anaichom, and Futuna Islands, south of Vanuatu. Uh, our, our main focus is to make sure. Uh, uh, the next generation uh, are aware and cherish and value uh, the importance of the resources that they in the forest, especially the trees. So, uh, Vanuatu doesn't have any flowers in place, so this is a collaboration between uh, New York Botanical Garden and the um, yeah. Institute of Applied Science in Fiji, East Center, Manoa. California State University, uh, Swatsmo University, the IRD. These are the pools of both uh, scientists and, and uh, PhD students and master students collaborating with the um, uh, Department of Forest and the national stakeholders to to document the floras of Anuatu. So very soon we will launch uh, the floras of Anuatu, and this will be the basis of of uh, the information that we would build on to uh, uh, support the people or educate the people 
in Vanuatu. So. Mr. Tofo points out that it is interesting to see the destruction of these resources because people do not recognize the value of these trees or even know that they are endemic trees. So scientific research aids the communities in appreciating and safeguarding all the resources they have in their localities or respective communities. In reference to, to uh, the documentation that has been done in the Fair Province, it's, it's vital because it helps the team as well to uh, showcase the endemic species that we had in Vanuatu, which a unique. For instance, we have the Cariota uh, opiophilus, uh, which is the snake palm, which is only found on the island of Tana. And also Capoxylum microspermum. It's a special palm that can be found only on Sautana, Nautana, and Emtania on an item. So these are some of the endemic palm species that, you know, people would not hardly, I mean, they won't hardly, you can hardly find these somewhere around the world. So it's only found on these particular areas where the natural stands are. So it's important to apply the the measures of custom forest conservations in order for communities to protect those resources and value those resources. As part of the initiative, an app titled Checklist Plants of Vanuatu will soon be released. With the advancement of technology, it will be simpler to educate people on various trees on this platform. We've decided to, to do another uh, partnership as well with uh, Dominic Ramik. Uh, it's actually from Jack Republic. Uh, so he assisted us to develop an app called the Jackless Plants for Vanuatu. So this is one of the mechanisms that would help uh, individual persons or forest offices or schools to to know about the names of the plants. So the apps will be launched soon and um, uh, definitely uh, people want the uh, us to provide all the names, especially about the scientific names of those plants because every information would be on the apps and uh, the apps will be accessed everywhere without the internet. And now uh, it's one of the mechanisms that hopefully uh, people and students around Vanuatu will have access of it and it would be very helpful in terms of the educational aspect as well. Mr. Tofo recently had the opportunity to give a guest lecture to students at the National University of Vanuatu, which he considers as a breakthrough for the initiative. This is one of the breakthroughs that we had, uh, especially uh, providing the information in, in relation to uh, the climate uh, variability or the distributions of plants in regards to the uh, climate variability. So uh, with the results of the work that has been done on Tavia province, uh, this is actually what that has been exposed to the students in the classrooms and uh, the students really appreciate the scientific results that has been obtained in the field to educate him about the importance of uh, plant species in terms of uh, climate variability since, you know, climate change is a very sensitive issue since affecting the livelihood of the people. So 
this is one of the components that the National University really appreciate the, you know, the information that has been extracted in the field in terms of scientific components to support the students in the classrooms to see the linkages, the relationships of the work that has been done in the field with the students and also regardless or regards to, to climate change. A hub of biodiversity in Vanuatu, the Vanuatu National Aquarium, is where people can access this information or the collections that are done are based collections where every piece of information provided is based on the collections that have been made. It is estimated that the Vanuatu National Herbarium has 20,000 plant specimens that have been collected over the years. These collections were made back in 1774 when James Cook arrived in Vanuatu from his second voyage to do the plant collections. Michael Palik and Gregory Plonget from the New York Botanical Garden started the project in 2012, and it was officially launched by the Department of Forestry, Environment and Cultural Center. It was a national undertaking, involving all relevant national stakeholders, as well as provincial governments, chiefs and individual participants. Now that it has been over 10 years, they are beginning to see the results of the fieldwork they have done and how it has affected the livelihoods of the populace. Tofo continues by saying that they also had solid working relationships with other universities they collaborated with, since they knew they had strong collaborations in place to support, maintain and handle every piece of data in the event of a crisis, particularly with regards to plants. Yes, we, we had a good relationships between um, those different kinds of universities that they were working with and uh, most of the of the people that we worked with are the professors, the deans, and the PhD and the master students. So we exchange ideas and also they contribute to give some of the specimens in their bearings. Well, for example, uh, uh, Swarthmore University they help us to document those online plant stocking dictionaries and. Even um, the New York Botanical Garden, they host the Symbiota um, on the database online. And also, uh, some of the specimens that were collected were shifted, especially the duplicates were sent over to the uh, different papyrus and the wall. So, in case if any disasters or one or two comes across any vulnerability or anything that would happen, then you know, those specimens will be repatriated back to Vanuatu. So, he says that funding organizations make sure they collect the data and convey the information to the public, so they are aware of the species present in Vanuatu, because the population of Vanuatu is expanding quickly, and people are placing demands on these resources. The National Science Foundation, USA Grant, Christensen Fund, National Geographic Society and Critical Partnership Ecosystem Fund all provided grants in support of the current effort. Vanuatu Sanma province in the north of the country will be the next focus for the Plants and People project after Tafea province. Thanks to Pacific Prepared reporter and freelance journalist Florence Fanua for that story from Vanuatu. People's lives have been affected by a disaster. Know what to do. Know what to do. Know what to do. Clearing roads, restoring critical infrastructure. See, all the signs are coming, so we have to prepare. Be prepared. 
Pacific Repair. We know that after natural disasters, some diseases can spread more quickly than what they might have otherwise done. Papua New Guinea-based Pacific Prepared reporter and freelance journalist Diane Waketsi has this story. Communicable diseases continue to add to the burden of disease, disability and disadvantage in many Pacific Island countries. While major progress has been made in eliminating some of these diseases, more needs to be done to prevent and mitigate communicable diseases across the Pacific before disaster strikes. Every year, thousands of babies are born in Papua New Guinea, but many of them die before they reach the age of five. One of the causes is due to diseases that are preventable through immunization. This includes measles, polio, whooping cough, and tetanus. Despite immunization services being provided for free at all government-run health facilities throughout the country, Many children are still not being brought for immunization. According to the World Health Organization, PNG's immunization coverage rate stands below 50%. About 30 to 40% of hospitalization and death in the country among children is due to illness such as measles, meningitis, tetanus, whooping cough, along with pneumonia. These children can be protected by full and complete immunization. Thus, the national government has kicked off a campaign to raise the country's immunization coverage rate to save lives of children called the Supplementary Immunization Activity on Measles, Rubella, Polio and Vitamin A. The Supplementary Immunization Activity on Measles, Rubella, Polio and Vitamin A will be conducted by the National Department of Health with support from UNICEF, the World Health Organization, and will go on for five weeks. Pacific Prepared spoke to one of the team leaders, Sister Taylor Bukepu, a midwife leading a team of volunteer health workers recently. It's important for us to, to protect our kids, our bikini below five years, to, um, from measles and polio. Those are the two, two diseases that we affect our children. That's why the country wants us, the Department of Health, wants the health workers to come out to the settlement, villages, wherever. It's, 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 we are doing it all over the country, starting this week, all over the country. So Mipla Tribe will come out. So Mipla give measles vaccine, suit long or baby, picking it below five. Now OPV and polio vaccine, yeah, will protect them all against the polio disease. The five-week-long program will see health workers visit all settlements and communities in the rural and urban areas to immunize as many children as possible. We are located, I mean, one team to all the settlements. Like six miles, we are looking after all the catchment area. The people who are coming to our clinic, we are looking after them. So we will be doing it now, first round. Second time, we'll come around with kids only not being vaccinated by plug-in okay. And me plug and me plug in so I'm Because all through their childhood, all being the same time they are they are uh, one month going up low one year. So they, they, it's in the program, but just that plenty of also miss out. Even those that they complete the vaccine, we are still giving them just to protect them from this disease of polio and measles. They are hearing the rumor that the other South Pacific countries are they have some cases in the country. That's why 
the PND government wants our kids to be protected. I'm encouraging all our parents to make sure that there's if a team coming to their area, they must bring all their kids below five years, five years to one month baby. That, those are our main, main encouragement where we want all our community, all our kids to be there to be well immunized. Pacific Prepared also spoke to mothers about the immunization program. Maria Didigula, a grandmother who brought her five-year-old nephew to be immunized, and Lavlin Muga were happy that the government saw fit to bring these services to communities. This immunization rollover from house to house or door to door service is a very important uh, service. Because most mothers, they don't want to go to the house because some of them don't have bus fare, some are very lazy, some are sick. They cannot afford to go there. So it's the best thing to bring the service to the community. Now, because I'm saving more beginning in a live lobby in a sick bag, I'm only much, I'm not giving. Um, banish your body blood, some yamamas. I'm good, I'm in all current savings. Can I go in lower house? I'm spending a meal around them or for kissing a mouse line sign because I'm saving yamamas. Pacific prepared reporter and freelance journalist based in Papua New Guinea, Diane Waketsi, with that story. Disaster is part of our life, and recovering is also part of our life. As you see, they're smiling despite the devastation. That's how we are. You are listening to Pacific Prepare. When there's a disaster and some help is needed from outside a country, things seem to just happen. You might see more large ships coming in with assistance, more planes arriving, and everything just seems to work smoothly. There's a lot of work that goes in behind the scenes to make sure that humanitarian organisations do run so smoothly and so that people know what to do when there's something that they're needed for. Some training has been happening in Tonga recently. It's almost been a two-way exchange of information. And CU Falakano from the Tonga Broadcasting Commission has this story. 27 local humanitarian workers and technical specialists were participating on a week-long learning discussion of knowledge exchange in Tonga as part of an Australian aid project known as the Essential Humanitarian Practice Training Course. The Essential Humanitarian Practice Training Course is an internationally accredited training conducted by Red Isle Australia. During the six-day intensive training, experienced trainers are teaching participants the functions of the modern humanitarian system, sharing their lived experience and providing participants an opportunity to put the knowledge gained into practice and to work effectively in the humanitarian field. Associate trainer Billy Ngauna says the training course deepens the understanding of attendees to learn the complexity of international humanitarian relief system when responding to disasters and conflict-induced emergencies. The training is uh, really an important uh, training, particularly for Pacific Islanders who are uh, exploring um, 
career in international humanitarian work and we have radar has conducted this training in other parts of the Pacific including Fiji uh, and Australia um, so this is the first time for Tonga uh, we are extremely pleased to be here uh, working with the, the National Emergency Management Office to support the enhance the capacity of the Tonga National Emergency Management System with the training of uh, the participants who have been really great. But also looking forward, uh, we would like to see some of these um, participants uh, become part of our roster. And uh, I'm also on the roster uh, as an associate trainer. Uh, Potentially I would be a deployee, so I'm looking at the participants. Uh, Hopefully they they step up to the role of... uh, uh, working in, in other countries uh, like most of our deployees do. He adds participants are taught at the international level where they participate in practical exercise and role plays after theoretical sessions. So in organizing this training, Radar has been really careful about uh, ensuring that the, the context in which the training is is run uh, the, is, is not is sensitive towards what the participants, as most of them actually were involved in the in the recent uh, volcano response. Um, so the the training uh, that Radar conducts for these essentials for humanitarian practice is uh, pitched at an international level. Um, so when they are, when the trainers are, are delivering the training, uh, we are focused more on broadening the um, the knowledge and uh, application of disaster response programs and activities at the international level. At times we talk about the local context, uh, but we we didn't want, we were very careful to not get too much into um, the the Tonga experiences because of the the, the trauma and and, and experiences of the recent um, volcano. The participants of the training are Tonga nationals from relevant government ministries, department and agencies, and non-government organizations. The first secretary of the Australian High Commission in Tonga, Cassie Cohen, in her opening speech emphasized the importance of the training to first responders and agencies and also clusters as they play pivotal roles in times of emergency and crisis. Anasiu Falakano from the Tonga Broadcasting Commission with that story. My name's Fred Hooper and you're listening to Pacific Prepared. I'm just holding on for dear life here. For women, it's always safety first. They are the first responder. You're listening to Pacific Prepared. When you hear the word literacy, I wonder what it makes you think of. Maybe a heap of students sitting in a classroom... Books open, heads down. But it could also mean something quite different. Dr. Rosiana Lungi is from the University of the South Pacific, and she says some simple changes in the system could help students stay in school longer. One of the biggest issues we have in Fiji is a high uh, dropout rate, school dropout rate. And I think one of the reasons is that the curriculum is not conducive, is not encouraging uh, students to, to, to remain in school. Um, we're not teaching them what, you know, uh, uh, teaching them things that 
meet their needs and and their intelligence because I think in one of the discussions we had I talked about how in the indigenous Fijian community every child has a traditional role and with this traditional role comes traditional knowledge and skills that they have to to learn and and for us we believe that that is an intelligence in its own right. Like, for example, as um, Gardner mentioned about uh, linguistic intelligence, musical intelligence. So we believe that these are the intelligence that need to be developed and nurtured in schools so that children can uh, develop them and, and use them uh, as part of you know, the work that they aspire to, to do or be an entrepreneur. We, as educators, need to know our students and what they need, as well as align it to what the market needs. Mm. And I think if we look around the world today, children are into TikTok, they're into music, they're into uh, dance, and these are industries that we also need to to develop. And uh, if that's how children learn best, then why not? You must have had a lot of fun travelling around... Um, recording the the songs and working with young people to make those songs? Yes, uh, it's interesting because um, uh, the, the age gap, because they're children and, uh, and uh, for me I was surprised to see the, the, the difference in, in, in skill sets yeah. uh, and how it uh, developed um, and knowledge too I guess on climate change yes and uh, and that's what I was uh, discussing with one of my colleagues uh, it proves the standpoint theory uh, very well because they experience uh, they understand things from their experience so with um, with children in kindergarten and the lower primary they uh, they they sang their poems they couldn't write it so they preferred to just sing it right. And I was surprised because I can't do that. <laughs> I can just sing, but uh, that's their level of development. You know, they're at that stage where they can just sing. Yeah. And then in the, the next stage, um, the upper primary, they, um, some of them drew their, um, their story. They couldn't write it, but they, you know. And then the, the higher level were the ones that wrote their poems and, and were able to adapt it and turn it into a video documentary. Yeah. Is that where sometimes it does fall down when you mention literacy? People don't necessarily think of music and poems and songs. Is that what happens, do you think? Yes, because I think when we talk about literacy, a lot of people just think about reading and writing. But actually, literacy is a skill set of being able to to read, to write, to comprehend, to to make decisions, to... um, to analyze and critically think about things and, you know, selecting how you best can use the, the knowledge and, and the skills that you have. Yeah, so it's, it's a lot. Um, but when it comes to reading, people just don't want to talk about it because reading is not our culture. But if we talk about singing, they would understand it better. I believe that if we develop their literacy skills in their vernacular, this is a good pathway for them to learn any other um, language as well as the skills and knowledge in any other uh, uh, language so you know learning will be interesting because they know what they're, they're learning otherwise they will just drop out because they're not interested they don't understand what's going on in school
Dr. Rossiana Lange from the University of the South Pacific, ending that story. Pacific Prepared is supported by the Pacific Media Assistance Scheme with funding from the Australian Government's Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Any views expressed do not necessarily represent those of PACMAS or the Australian Government. It's produced and distributed in partnership with Radio Australia and networks across the Pacific including Radio New Zealand Pacific, NBC Papua New Guinea, Palau Wave Radio, Capital FM 107 Vanuatu, FBC Fiji, Samoa National Radio 2AP, SIBC Solomon Islands Broadcasting Corporation and TBC Tonga. My name's Fred Hooper. Please share any information you've learned today and stay safe. This has been Pacific Prepared. <laughs>